0: When was the last time we hung out? It was uh, was it the oh, it was the award ceremony at Balmore uh, that time?
1: What a whiskey Awards, yeah. So you then,
0: when uh, we did the little interview, when I was doing all my um, YouTube stuff,
1: yeah, yeah. Your mom and dad came in to the boutique later on.
0: Uh I and mean, literally a year later,
1: they're like, Oh yeah, I know you from Mitch's video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: That's funny, man. That's funny. It's the only people that actually watch the video. <laughs>
2: and they're also <laughs> the only people that listen to this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. That's not An true. audience of two. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am your host, Nicholas Polaki, joined as always by Captain of the Ship, the man that some say can speed up the maturation of a cask of whiskey just by intensely staring at it. Mr. Mitch Bouchard. Mitch, how you doing, mate?
0: Good, man. You. That's a true story, by the way. <laughs> I'd like Have to you... put that out there as fact. Um, whenever I go around to the stories, <laughs> they thank me for aging their casks by 10 years after I've left.
2: Just because of your icy glare? <laughs> <laughs> or because of your warm charm, you know, <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, good,
0: mate. Oh, good. So um, amazing to be joined this afternoon by the managing director of one of the finest distilleries in the land. Um, fantastic journey in a, in a very, relatively short, Period of time, I'd say, uh, as far as whiskey years go, anyway. So, everyone, please welcome to the show the managing director of Glen turret Mr. John Laurie. John, how hello, are you, mate! Great, great, oh, very to have well, you, guys. Everybody.
1: Thanks very much for having me, and, and uh, especially before you go on, Brendan mccarran's dentist. Honestly, after I saw brenda <laughs> McCarney episode three coming on, I thought. That's me. I'm out. There's no way I'm getting on this. This is the Brendan <laughs> show.
0: <laughs> he has actually got shares in, in the podcast.
1: Now, so. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. I mean, fair play. Uh, super, super funny guy. But uh, yeah, not absolutely delighted. Long time listener, first time participant. Um, delighted to be here.
2: Oh, I was like match of the day calling in there, isn't it? Like, the- <laughs> so let me just tell you about the back defence that's been going on today, mate. Right, <laughs> this is we need to shake up. And let me tell you, why I've what- got,
1: all I've got to say about this is
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then it's uh, exactly, exactly. Well, John, let's dive right in. Uh, we recently met up in New York City, and we got to sit next yep. to each other for a sixteen-course whiskey dinner. Is that what it actually takes these days, to tolerate sitting with me for a night out? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you know what? I was heading across to New York uh, for to uh, Turret. Very rare for me to be away from the distillery, as Mitch knows. Um, but the, uh, I was heading across to uh, New York for this event, and um, I think it was the bread macarren episode three that came on, and I thought, Do you know what? Nick always complains about not getting any drams. I'm in Ned. New York with drams in my bag. I'm going to reach out. You're yeah, so a legend. Totally, totally worked <laughs> out. You just happened to some free time at the same time I was there. Um, and it was just going to be us catching up for drams. But then I also remembered that the wolf dinner was on. Um, and it's all about um, cancer um, saving uh, or support organization that's run across there. And it's an incredible dinner. But, yeah, 16 whiskeys you go through. Um, so we we killed two birds of one stone. We got to catch up, have some drams, and we also get to support the Wolf Foundation.
2: And then after that, we still got to go out. Like, after 16 whiskeys, we're like, that was a good warm-up. Let's go out yeah. and drink. I think sensibly,
1: they, they, the thing was going on to Carnegie Club for whiskeys and cigars after that. And I think you sensibly suggested, let's maybe just have a, uh, an, pint. a an altar party. So yeah. uh, we took uh, Richard Urquhart and Kirstine from, uh, from Gordon McPhail, and we started their own little party.
2: Yeah, they, they're they're fantastic people. Actually, really, uh, That was a great little... Uh, some that went out for the night that yeah. was a, a great yeah. little group yeah. and uh, they are a good company yeah kirsten and, and richard are really really funny and like we ended up in a believe it or not Mitch, we ended, ended up in a bar in, in the lower part of manhattan singing show tunes <laughs> with all of the off-broadway cast members of uh, 42nd street <laughs>
0: i love love the way john john went oh nicholas had a really like uh you know down to earth sensible suggestion and now it's turned (laughs) into you guys are singing broadway knows when in the morning
2: to be fair i took them to one of my favourite. there's a bar called mustang harry's uh, right next to penn station which is usually where i kind of because it's right next to the station when i'm taking off i'm going in and out of the the city i'll just take the train in and out and so i know those guys well and we went there and had a few drams and actually they, they carry quite a few whiskies. like it's it's, a, it's an interesting spot you walk in and it's but you think it's you know like an irish sports bar kind of thing but what a whiskey selection they've got so you know going there had a few shibuis and, and we ended up having a few uh few whiskies from from gordon and mcphail as well i think richard pulled a few of his drams out well, exactly
1: I was, uh, I was loving that so you went away got some shibuis hey guys We've got these, try these. So we've got Richard Urquhart, who's the master at one-upmanship. One Ump- One <laughs> so I'm going to go and I'm going to get some god might and I'm going to bring them back. Oh, really? Right, I'll get this. Like, okay, bring on, guys. I'll just sit here
2: and be there. <laughs> After <laughs> 16 whiskeys, you know, <laughs> that's what we needed. More whiskey. <laughs> I, so I was
0: going to say, so it turned into 36 whiskeys. Exactly. Right exactly. And then <laughs> we end up in the, is it Marie's Crisis Cafe, drinking Indeed. bottles of Stella, cash only, singing short tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Right, John, let's let's get back into kind of what's been going on here. I think, you know, when we first met, um, it was just after lockdown. Uh, I luckily enough, went to Glen Turret and interviewed you for, for, you know, that lockdown time. I was doing these kind of crazy whiskey videos. And uh, that was that was kind of great fun doing that. And I really got to know you a little bit from that. But some people listening might not know your name, know a little bit about Glen Turret. So let's rewind a little bit. Tell everyone about your history, how you got into all this.
1: Okay, so uh, if I start off with me personally and then to cover Glentura, because you're totally right, Glentura, even in the industry, was quite an unknown name um, at one point recently. Um, So my uh, career trajectory left school, became a fitness instructor, um, got up to uh, large health clubs, um, fell in love with whiskey in my 20s, um, couldn't really transition from health clubs into uh, whiskey at that time. So got my MBA at Edinburgh University, should have gone into whiskey when I graduated then, did make a couple of conversations. Uh, was enticed to set up my own business uh in fitness, which I did, sold franchises and that. Uh I exited that selling out to my business partner. Uh I then bought two cafes, a restaurant, and a corporate catering company. Uh, I merged them and gave them the same brand name and then really didn't love catering um at the at that time. Um so sold that business to a couple who really did, and that was great to see that business that I put together go on and flourish into. Uh, people that were really passionate about it. And my wife said two things. One, go and get a real job, and B, um, get a job in a whiskey, which is what you've always wanted to do. So um, I got the job at the Famous Grouse Experience as the general manager of that, which also came with this little side part of that, which would be the brand manager of the Glen Turret Single Malt. Because the Glen Turret Single Malt was a part of the blend in the Famous Grouse, a very small part of it, but it was a part nonetheless. But more importantly, it was the only Perthshire distillery that Edrington still owned, and therefore, when they moved to Glasgow, they, um, it was really important that they had that famous grouse identity in Perthshire, where famous, uh, where Matthew Grogg was. So, about 2002, that all started. Um, a gentleman called Ken Greer, who we all know, um, was decide, decided decided at the time what the famous grouse really needs is a brand home, a spiritual home. And at that time, Famous Grouse was a power brand. You know, it was a significant revenue generator for Edrington. Um, blends were still were still really, really strong at that time. The social club scene in Scotland in particular, you know, really common to have a half-lager and a half a best and a, and a, and a low-flyer, a wee uh, Famous Grouse. Um, so um, that made a lot of sense to that team at that time. Covering up a really small malt distillery and malts were really... Probably not yet at the start of their massive resurgence, but probably showing signs of that then. Um, that That's what they did. And since 2002 until 2019, the Glen Turret distillery was the famous grouse experience. And therefore, as single bumps were becoming significantly popular and um, to where they are now, you could be forgiven from inside or outside the industry, consumer or industry, uh, part of the industry, to not really know much about the GlenTurret Turret single malt distillery, even though it'd been making single malt since, we now know, 1763.
0: Wild, the longest it? is that. What, what's your claim to fame? It's the longest, not the oldest distillery, but it's the longest running distillery, is that correct?
1: So no, it's Scotland's oldest working distillery. It had a gap from the late 20s to the early 50s. Uh, there was whiskey in maturing in the warehouse, but some of the plant had started to be, uh, taken out of that, and some of the buildings for used for agricultural storage for that short period of time in the middle. Yep. Um, so what we're basically saying is that we know that that site was making alcohol under the Thurit distillery name in 1763. We know it is longer than that, because the rental document we found has said that the, the Thurit distillery was allowed to not pay rent because it had been a while since it had made spirit. So we knew it had been producing earlier than that, but we can't find any documentation to support that. So we say since 1763, and there is that gap in the middle, but we are continually working today on the same site in the same premises with the same, um, the same buildings.
2: Very cool. One of the things we were looking at, obviously, that the lineup of whiskies that you guys produce is is incredible, and having that older age stock profile is obviously, obviously, as well a little bit of a blessing, right? So we've seen some of these older older whiskies that you guys have been putting out, and I'll get to one of them specifically a little bit later, but. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the whiskies that you've got in the market? Some of the more accessible ones, the ones that you—if you, you could—if you could tell people this is a whiskey you should go and buy from Glen Turret, what would you recommend? And and so, so that people can go out and get a taste of this amazing whiskey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's super important for us when we re-entered the market. Um, it was never—it never disappeared. It was still there's two thousand cases a year under Glen Turret name going in single malt. Each of those products, there was three SKUs. Uh, at 47 pounds each one was called sherry edition one was called triple wood and one was called PT edition and they were very standard non-age statements and very standard looking bottles we went on this massive refurbishment repositioning rebranding we brought in Bob Delgarno our massive whiskey maker um, across to really uh, take a creative look at our spirit um, quality one of the things that was really important to us is that the consumer who had been part of the Glen Turret prior to acquisition didn't feel that they could they were no longer welcome in our consumer set afterwards. So we still call one of our SKUs Triple Wood. It started at £47 afterwards and it's it's grown a little bit since then. It's about £55 now. Um but still not really it's not ramping up the price points. It's yeah. an accessible dram. It's still made by Bob Dogarno, it's still made, it's still produced in the same glass bottle that our really expensive uh, products come in. So you get the same weight of bottle, same standard, same label, um, same whiskey maker, but at a price point that you could say, actually, do you know what? I'm going to a barbecue today. I'll grab a bottle of Triple Wood. I'll drink it with mates. It's uh really smooth, really easy going. It's got you know those real traditional um bourbony notes, American oak notes. You know, there's there's um, toffees and caramels and vanillas and, and all, all the sweet stuff that you expect from that. Um, IWC voted at 99 points out of 100 last year. Uh, Forbes then picked it up and said can the best whiskey in the world really only cost $55 uh, because at the time there was no other single malts um, scoring 99 of 100 and we were only $55 in America so that for me was amazing you know to be able to send that message say at $55 you can drink what was voted you know the best single malt pre- submitted for um, competition at IWC the biggest awards arguably around and um, so that was really important, that our entry level was banging. And yeah. then if you, as you go up through the range from that, you get confidence from that. So we then have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old peat Smoke in our range. Um, seven-year-olds pretty much the same price as triple wood. Ten-year-olds, incrementally different, just a slight difference, a few pounds difference. Um, peat Smoke is a really interesting addition to Glen Turret. We, in the early 2000s, or so late 90s, early 2000s, Edrington decided that we would... Uh, be the peat constituent in smoky black famous grouse. So they put in a split fence tank. So we can actually switch between peated and unpeated uh, production really quickly. Uh, So when we go from peated run to an unpeated run, we don't have the first batch of our unpeated having a little bit of smoke through it because we've used the fence from the last batch. We can actually keep the smoky fence completely separate until we go into the next peated run. So 25% of the stocks acquisition were smoky uh, when, when we were bought over. And we brought in seven and ten. Uh, then we've got twelve-year-old all European oak uh, sherry cask. Fifteen-year-old again European oak sherry cask. They're really Bob Dolgarno's signature styles. Fifteen-year-old yep. uh, this year's banging. Um, then we jump between fifteen and twenty-five, which is a really um, important point to to bring up. Twenty-five-year-old and then 30 year old we call it extremely scarce so they are there's 210 bottles global in 25 year old and there are this year 500 bottles in 30 year old global the gap between 15 and 25 uh, something asked quite often and that's because as a really small bespoke distillery we don't have a lot of casks so we can't down age stock from a bit older and to you know to get that commercially um, interesting 18 year old product or 20 year old product that we really, really plug the gap there in our ladder Yep. And what we're not prepared to do is put something out that we're not proud of. So we'd rather have that big 15 to 25-year-old gap than put something in there that, A, we're not proud of, or B, puts our stock model under severe pressure.
2: Yeah, that's clever. So for those who don't know, like Bob Rogan was obviously master blender at McAllen for many, many years. So those kind of older age, the 12, the 15, that's kind of his sweet spot because he obviously yep. Yep. championed that, not just for the sherry uh, contingency side of McAllen, but also the fine oak. Uh, which you would have been a part of kind of creating and rolling out for them. So like, obviously, I mean, arguably one of the best whiskey makers in the world is now at the front of, of your brand, which is, which is incredible. I was just thinking about something that you, you were telling your, your, your kind of story and your journey into whiskey here, John, you started um, obviously in the gym and fitness world and you couldn't find a way to create gyms, gym and fitness and collide with, uh, <laughs> collide with whiskey and just have it all under one roof.
1: You're forgetting about the bit in the middle. I went from fitness to food to alcohol, ah. so if I keep on that trajectory, it's drugs next. <laughs> so that's either a downward spiral or an upward spiral, depending on what mood you're in.
2: Joe, I had to tell you this is a true story. So that my gym right now is it's in a, a, a headquarters building here in New Jersey, and there's a there's a massive uh, movie theater inside it as well. So every time you go in and out of my gym. It's just the smell of buttered popcorn fills the air, <laughs> which is the equivalency of yeah. trying to have an AA meeting at the back room of a pub. <laughs> so, like always, always makes me chuckle. So when you were saying that yeah. you were part of the fitness world before you went into whiskey, I was like, ah, oh, that makes sense now. To sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all it's all goes hand in hand.
0: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting transition, man. I I remember one of the things that you talked to me about as well when we went to the distillery, and I think this is a fascinating story. Obviously, with your experience at Famous Grouse when you went there and then transitioning to what is now Glen Turret, um, you know, I, I mean – I don't think you will think bad of me for saying this, but when we go back to what the famous grouse was experience was, it was fantastic, but it was very much, you know, I remember the big screen and you were kind of flying over Scotland like you were a grouse. And I always remember seeing a lot of coach parties uh, rock up there. You know, there's a lot of coaches, a lot of tourists coming along. That's a very different experience now at Glen Turret, right? And and you talked to me a little bit about the transition and how that all happened, which I thought was fascinating. Because when Edrington put the cell or the, the, the distillery on the market, they had many, many offers for this. But they were really interested in what Lalique wanted to do. We eventually bought it along with the sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the other owner's name now. Um, but they, when they presented those plans to you guys, it was something that wasn't just for the brand, it was also this whole experience at the distillery, yeah. right? Which, yeah. which they've done amazingly well. I mean, you guys are now the only distillery to have a Michelin star. Um, the yeah. restaurant is. Absolutely stunning. I've been lucky enough to eat there a few times. Uh, the probably tour was absolutely fantastic.
2: My night, match for free. Do you manage to grift your way into a free meal? No,
0: I, I paid. Actually, someone else <laughs> paid. Someone challenge. else paid. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, you
2: paid and then build someone back. Yeah, got it. <laughs> but,
0: but, John, I've probably totally butchered that story. Can no, no. Can you kind yeah. of um, bring that to life a little bit for everyone? Of course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, famous grouse experience was massively ahead of its time. Uh, when you think about the Johnny Walker experience in Prince. Street now, you know, that uh, footprint really started with Famous Grouse Experience. It had audio visual, it went a BAFTA for that audio visual uh, at the time. Um, and it it brought in its heyday 250,000 people to a whiskey distillery in Scotland. You know, absolutely incredible for its day. Um, it had run its course a little bit, and the model of consumer that we were getting through the Famous Grouse when I arrived. Uh, it was very coach party orientated. Now, um, coach parties as a business model was declining on its own anyway. You know, the, the concept of putting a lot of people onto a bus together and then busting them around Scotland with different interests and different uh, uh, different beliefs was going to become difficult. And then COVID really put, made that difficult because the age profile of the people that were going on these big coach trips was obviously primed for that. Um, so what happened is these coaches would arrive at Glen Turret because that's where they were stopping. Everyone got off and then off the 50 people that got off that coach, five or six would go on tour. Um, the rest of them weren't actually interested in whiskey. They're, that's just where the bus stopped. And therefore that's where they got off. They would go and sit up in the cafe and have a pot of tea and a scone between two of them um, or not buy anything at all and just sit and read the paper. Uh, and then the bus would be ready to go again. They'd all leave site and go off. So those visitor numbers looked incredible, but what was actually achieving? You know, were people actually becoming interested in whiskey, activated in the brand? You know, really, not really. Um when the acquisition happened by L'Lique Group and Hanjor Vis is the the 50 owners of Glinterate now, uh, they had their eyes set on something different, something that Scotland didn't currently have, but was really quite prevalent in the wine industry. So if you go through Napa Valley, you can't stop at a vineyard without them having a great restaurant that celebrates the terroir. They welcome you in. They open some bottles up. You feel really welcome. You have that warm, positive experience, and you probably lock onto that brand as you as you leave thereafter. So they wanted to re- replicate that in Scotland. And therefore, the Michelin star restaurant, Glen the League restaurant, um, got a star in seven months. Um, took a lot of energy, time and, and investment to make that happen. But we're incredibly, incredibly proud of it. We will do about 50,000 visits this year, so much less people visiting the distillery. But every single person that visits the distillery either goes on tour through our distillery or goes to the restaurant where we celebrate the Tawar of our area and discuss that. We never serve whiskey with our meal. We never have a paired uh, this whiskey with this food course. I believe strongly that whiskey has its place. And if we try to shoehorn whiskey into a place that it doesn't belong, then we're we're just not missing the trick actually what's nothing better in the restaurant than going there having a great meal with great friends enjoying a really nice bottle of wine and then at the end of the meal sitting in the barn and thinking Do you know what I'm in an old distillery in the highlands of Scotland when else am I going to try my first whiskey but now let me give that and if you still don't like whiskey after that I mean I don't believe that's true but if you didn't then, when you're next in New York buying Uncle Joe's birthday present, and you're, you know, you're in, you're in a store, you're like, oh, there's that place we had that great meal. You know, it tells it builds the story about the brand. So we do a lot more for Creef now with the fifty thousand people than we ever did with the two hundred and fifty thousand people. Because These fifty thousand will get a local B and B. They'll stay overnight. They'll eat in the restaurant. They'll then go for coffee in the morning. They'll uh, visit the co-op on their way home. You know, everything in the town is better because of the new model.
2: That's brilliant.
1: And I think so that-
0: what's what's fascinating as well, you know, and you touched on it there. You said you never pair whiskey with uh, the dinners. And what blew me away when I went in, and this is very much a testament to, to Colin Hart, who manages the place, who I know you work very closely with and all the team there, which are absolutely fantastic. But the bar is actually a proper whiskey bar. You guys stock other brands, it's just not just Glen Turret behind there. And you know, like you said already, you have a, an amazing selection of wines. I've been down to your wine cellar. Uh, And it's incredible. So you guys are really offering the whole package. Um, Your chef, uh, unbelievable chef as well. And I I know you guys, you know, right at the start, I I came along and chatted with the staff before you guys opened. And the preparations you guys put in place for opening this restaurant were unbelievable. And, and, you know, a a testament to you guys and the team there on getting your Michelin star in seven months. That's just insane. I, I imagine there's a little bit of jealousy from maybe other distilleries around about just now. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think uh, thanks for um, calling it Colin there. Um, I just want to spend a couple of seconds on him. He is the oil that makes the machine move. Um, he's one of those guys who doesn't take credit, doesn't shout out, doesn't put his hand up. Things just happen. And you're like, oh, I don't know how those chairs got there. Or I don't know actually how those umbrellas just arrived at the door when it's raining outside me because I'm private clients. It's Colin. Colin just makes it all all work. So uh, he was a great piece of recruitment. He drives up from Edinburgh every day to Creef. Um, he was desperate to get into the industry. He had made a lot of friends in the bar sector, including yourself, Mitch, uh, when he worked in Edinburgh. And really, you know, like our industry does, it just draws people to it. Uh, and he was like, you know, I'll take I'll take that job if it gets me in there. Um, having other whiskeys in the bar is something that really comes from our philosophy we try to be really honest. We try to be really transparent. We think there are enough consumers in the world for all of us. We don't have to compete against each other. So let's celebrate the category rather than say, oh, that's a gun turret bar. Um, and I know that some of the other distilleries that are really jealous about us having a hospitality offering at this level that is globally recognized, they won't do that because they just can't get past that open-armed piece. You know, why? why not? embrace everything. Why not have, we've got Woven, we've got Isla Rassi, I, I love Isla Rassi, you know, we've got um, um Nick Nane, we've got really old bottles from Balvenie, we've got bottles of Macallan that we've bought from the auctions, and just to have a really eclectic collection. Because at the start, I thought, if we're going to have uh, other whiskeys on our bar, then what brings them all together? And we thought, well, if a whiskey company was to have a whiskey bar, then they're not just going to have the largest selection or the most expensive selection. They're going to have things that have stories and have tales to tell.
0: I've got a question about that, John. I've always been wondering about this to get Michelin star. Do you have to have a certain amount of whiskeys and spirit offering behind the bar? So, you know, the way I'm thinking is you just, what you just said is other distilleries don't want to put up competitor brands there. Right. So that might limit their ability to, to go to put themselves in the same position as you guys.
1: Sadly not. Uh, Michelin don't recognise spirits at all. Uh, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the first thing um, they really look at is wine. You know, wine is an incredibly important part of that um, that assessment. I would love to see uh, Michelin taking spirits more seriously, especially when they are consumed in the right way, at the right time, with the right um, the right thought process behind the the cocktail or the neat serve. Or you know, I think they've there are a lot of people that need to
2: take spirits a lot more seriously, uh,
1: yeah. but at the moment, that wouldn't be a barrier to them getting a star. It would be them putting other brands on their bar.
2: You know what the thing is though with that, John. Like, you, I think this is something that I champion as well. Specifically with within Japanese whiskey as well, a lot of the brands only want to speak about themselves because yeah. that's the way that's the mentality, specifically in in other parts of the world. But that miss that's a misunderstanding of the whiskey consumer. The whiskey yeah. drinker doesn't just drink one whiskey. They don't just drink one style they don't like they've got a moment and like you said you've created the dining experience the opportunity to drink some killer wines and then they have a moment to go into a whiskey bar and have a choice and that choice varies depending on the whole week that they've had before they've even set foot in your property so if you've limited that choice then all you've done is potentially robbed yourself of an opportunity to sell them another whiskey where they can come into your space and be like well wait a minute here I don't really feel like this. I'd like something super peated or, you know, you know, I'm not going to get to do Isla in this visit, but these guys have an Isla whiskey that I've never seen before. Or, you know, I'm not going to be able to get up to Balvenie in this visit, but they've got a killer old Balvenie that I've never seen before. Like that in itself shows a, a wider understanding for the whiskey drinker than it does about anything. And I think credit to you, um, I can't wait to go over and have Mitch buy me dinner. So that's something to look forward to, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then build somebody back for it. So, <laughs> actually, exactly. spe- speaking of amazing drams, and I did want to go into this, uh, you were very, very kind, and we touched on this at the start. You did bring me a whiskey, a very, very rare whiskey. So you brought me a sample of Glen Turret, Eight Decades, by uh, the Jim's Turret, and because I never get things like this, I wanted to drink it in front of Mitch. With a big fuck you While I'm doing it Nicholas,
0: good for you I was
2: hoping that you might be able to walk Me and our listeners Through through this amazing dram
1: So absolutely, James Terrell is A really popular American artist in the art world And I hadn't um, Really appreciated how big a deal He is until I was introduced to him And had a great conversation with James Terrell On Zoom calls Uh, His dad was a whiskey drinker. Um, he has really fond memories of his dad drinking whiskey uh, when he was growing up and um, and just, you know, everything, the smell and uh, the, the the social occasions that that's that smells associated with. So really, really quite um, reassuring to have that conversation with this guy in Arizona who's coming up for his 80th birthday. He's well known, wants us to do something special with him. Um, and actually, the genesis of all that came back from his dad, drinking whiskey when he was growing up and like so many of our stories are like that. Uh, so uh, James, uh, his art is space and light. So he created a decanter that really reflects light and uses really, really hard colours to, to achieve in crystal. Uh, Lalique created this really special decanter. Um, to celebrate his 80th eight, uh, birthday, we took eight different casks, each cask representing a decade in his life. So AYS of this is about 30 years old, but it's from eight different casks, each represent a decade in his life. Um, the, uh, Bob spent some time with James, got to know that. Um, interestingly, because James's dad was Scottish and he grew up there, when we got in the Zoom call and we we're tasting whiskies with James and Bob and I started speaking a bit faster and faster and faster, um, the, the, um, James's assistants had no idea what we we're talking about. And James had to uh, translate for his assistants what we were saying because our Scottish accents were getting harder to understand and <laughs> we're speaking so much faster. Um, so this was a, we then had to create a cabinet to go with that. Um, we knew that most of the consumers here were probably going to celebrate James's art. So whiskey here, we're not selling, um, the world's most expensive 30 year old whiskey. Um, this because it's an incredibly expensive product i'll come on to that we're selling a piece of art where the whiskey is the medium that um that's been part of that um and i was really cautious to in terms when it came to the press releases and the places that we spoke about it to make sure that it was an art focused piece and you know whiskey people will absolutely be interested in this um but it's 80,000 pounds per bottle there's only 80 bottles made it's the hardest crystal decanter lalique i've ever had to make with the most the rarest of colors And a complex eight cask um, blend that Bob's put together that we only had two bottles of tasting stock after that. So we made the um, eight decanters plus a couple of artist proofs that will go to auction um, and two bottles for sampling stock, which we broke into small samples and you have one of them in your hand.
2: Um, so, on that note, actually, I'll start by apologizing. I said uh, James Turrett and said the James Terrell at start because I was mixing my words over Glenn yeah, Turrett. Uh, so, sorry about that, James. Uh, Mitch, what wh- are you getting in the nose here?
0: Oh, that's right. <laughs> <Very funny.
2: laughs> Remind me of the price point again. Mitch, walk me through this uh, tasting. Oh, that's right. Okay, so <laughs> uh, John, this is this is an absolute treat. Thank you very much. Obviously, Mitch and I are are spoiled. We are spoiled by brands that we've worked with over the years. We're spoiled by the bro- the brand sponsors of of not another whiskey podcast that send us nice little samples and things. And for you to kindly bring me a little drop of this very very rare whiskey, this this is what I love about about where we are. Sometimes you get these. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to taste this. Yeah. And, and it's still morning so this is my breakfast tram uh, where Excellent. I am in New York right now is only 11.37 so we can we can can you walk me through the whiskey and, and talk me through some of that
1: yeah so it's got a little bit of complexity there because of the um, the way that Bob was trying to choose different casks to represent different parts of James's life you've got uh, casks in there that um, represent vibrancy and energy um, for the younger part um so some notable casks in there we've got some uh glinter. it's 33 years now and it's in a 100 year old newport port pipe um so those um and those are my favorite flavors yeah. port uh, port finishes port maturation uh whiskeys are just um my absolute favorite um i get in particular when i'm having it um and I'm, i don't have one in front of me now because you know we, we try and keep it um it's <laughs> uh, rare yeah it is rare um but i get in particular um Walnuts, um, some almond, um, so sort of a really nuttiness coming through uh, on the James Turrell, which is quite different from other um, Glen Turrets. Yep. Um, ginger, and um, the what is most notable is the mouthfeel. I think the mouthfeel is not as, um, it doesn't have the depth that you'd get in a Glen Turret 30-year-old or 35-year-old because of that vibrancy that Bob's particularly picked out. It's got a youthfulness to it.
2: That's wonderful. Would you recommend this with uh, Diet Doctor Pepper or Iron Brew? I- Iron Brew or American <laughs> Fanta. Uh, American Fanta, Rose? yeah. You need that like bright orange, really <laughs> to lift the, to really lift those citrus more, notes.
1: More chemical <laughs> notes, the better. I
2: yeah, that's, no, this is this is incredible. Thank you very much. It was really as a treat. And um, thanks for bringing me Drama of it, Mitch. I'm sorry. I actually, I'm not even joking because I'm not a complete piece of garbage. I've saved you some. So <laughs> well, thanks, so, pal. I'll keep it for you say uh, next time I'm over or next time you're back here, I'll we'll, we'll share a lot. This is a, a this is a, a cracker. So, and you're right. It's, it's a, it's, you know, 30 years young, almost. It's got this, it has got this little yeah. pop of like, it's yeah. really nice that like you get those fudgy notes, definitely with that kind of marzipan, almond paste uh, notes there, the walnut and, and kind of the baking spices with the kind of fudgy notes as well. It's really, really clever. Really, it's a really uh, like a journalistic whiskey, like it's it's not it's not one dimensional. There's a lot going on, and it's it's all beautifully balanced. Good job. I mean, it's James Bob is, Ogano, so yeah, yeah, doing. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah. James Darrell as well bought in a crater in Arizona, and he is developing that into his life legacy PC. Uh, leave that for the world once he's gone, um, and it's all about how it, light interplays with everything around about that uh, that crater. Uh, hmm. It's called Rod- Roden Crater. And it's supported by Roden Creator Foundation, a charitable foundation um, in America. And we are donating the artist proof bottle completely filled, uh, along with the original sketches that James did, hand signed by him. Uh, we are donating them and they're going to get auctioned in New York on the 9th of December, I believe. And all the proceeds, 100 percent of the Primer price, will go to Roden Creator Foundation.
2: Mitch and I are leaving our careers. That's the creator that we're leaving for the world, right, Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> Your body of work. I leave my body of work <laughs> right. on another whiskey yeah, podcast. My body of work, <laughs> and also with you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's something, John, that I wanted to touch a little bit. It's a bit of a hot topic, uh, which is whiskey cask investment. We've spoken about it in the, on the podcast quite a few times. It's relatively unregulated uh, world, which has almost become a little bit of a Ponzi scheme uh, today with some bad actors, but... You and I had this chat specifically about Whiskey Cask Association, and we get chatting about this in New York. So these guys kind of pitched you to be coming on board to help support their plans. But they actually pitched you with the fact that, you, and I would like you to tell the story if it's okay with you. Uh, and we can cut this out if it's not okay with you. But um, the SWA, they basically said that the SWA were supporting their plans. And this was one of the reasons that yourself, and we can only assume a few others, signed up to support the process of Whiskey Cask Association's formation. Uh, I'd love you to walk us through a little bit about it. Uh, And, you know, a few others were certainly used, I guess, I think in this process for for Whiskey Cask Association. Like what was that journey like for you? How did they come to you? And what was the kind of outcome of it all?
1: So for sure, I think um, there is a massive need in our industry. I think we are all unified that, some regulation and some governance needs to come in to cask whiskey, sale and resale. That being said, Glentura actually, we had a we had a conversation once uh, about potentially doing a new mix spirit that we would use um, to support independent bottlers. Uh, I think the independent bottling uh, part of our industry needs supported. You know, distillers need to start breaking off some casks and some liquid that they can give to independent bottlers to keep that part of the business alive. Because yeah. we were ultimately built on that. You know, independent bottlers provide brilliant whiskey at affordable prices that consumers start enjoying and then they ultimately gravitate towards the core brand. They're like, oh, I like that at 30 pounds, 35 pounds, 40 pounds. I'm actually much more comfortable going and spending 55 pounds on going to Triplewood because I've had a chance to try it with North Star, Gordon McPhail, Douglas Lang, etc. etc. So I feel really strongly about that. Try to try to make that happen. Um however the however the name that we were going to use for that got out. 24 hours later, we had 20 people selling that new mix spirit on WhatsApp and um, into their client base.
2: Wait, so you hadn't um, even launched it?
1: We hadn't even filled a cask. We hadn't even we hadn't even completed the conversations on it. But that name got out, and we, I saw the WhatsApp messages saying, "I've got this. Just send me the money, and we will send you the deals." Well, you know, we've got it in the warehouse, ready to go. We hadn't even filled it, and people were selling it, and it really hit me hard yeah. um, at where we are now in the industry with. Uh, with these bad actors that, yep. uh, that have come in. And Scotch Whiskey is so unused to that because we are collaborative and it's kind of been built on integrity and built on everyone knows everybody, so you can't actually do the wrong thing because, you know, you get found out. So just don't, just don't be a dick. Um, but it's now, it's now we're in a different phase and we need that. So that happened, uh, being approached by um, CWA, really raw that, yes, absolutely, I'd happily to be an advisor to um to the CWA about a distillers or a brand perspective, you know, how we can potentially find ways to support the guy and protect the consumer. Um, and then all this is kind of kicked off and the SWA that was, you know, mentioned, I spoke to the SWA and they are not as involved as potentially I was uh, led to believe. And also I've seen my picture up promoting the Cask Risk Association on their social channels. And I've seen Hans Offringers and uh, a few other big names in the industry. They're all on the advisory board, but I've not seen any of the pictures of the people on the executive board. Um, They've still kept in the background. Now, on your interview, which I thought was excellent, I really enjoyed listening to that. And I thought you boys did a great job of treading that line really, really well to get the right answers out um, in a really fair and balanced way. And I think hats off to CWA. What they've done is created a lot of noise around about a situation that the real people who need to take this seriously weren't doing. So what needs to happen now is SWE needs to change its regulations to include casks in its remit and start offering some protection, some advice and some, um, some regulation around about this part of the industry. Uh, but as uh, for the CWA, until they fulfill the obligation they gave to both of you on this interview... Which was to hold um, elections and change that executive panel. Um, I don't think they are the right people for the job.
0: So where does this leave you then, John? Are you going to continue with them, or are you, are you kind of out? Or where, um, yeah, it?
1: yeah, I'm sadly not able to um, to continue with CWA. I um, I've seen my picture being used and my quotes being used, but not seen any of the pictures or quotes from the people who set it up being used. Yeah. And it just leads, leads me with a feeling that they are utilising my hard-end profile, you know, yeah. doing the right thing, acting the right way. And they're using that, but they're not prepared to to put their, their selves forward. And I think that was the, it for me. I was prepared after I heard your interview, actually, because I even as an advisory board, I hadn't heard as much as you managed to get out of them on that interview. Um, so, yeah, for me, I, I'll... Um, See, I've taken advice, and I'm just going to quietly remove myself, although I'm doing a podcast and <laughs> we're not talking about it, but I'm going to <laughs> remove myself from it. Um, I really think they've done an amazing job at creating a noise around about an issue that I think the industry needs to take a lot more seriously, a lot more quickly than it is doing at the moment.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we 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 fundamentally wholeheartedly agree with you that this needs to be an SWA uh, thing. Like, you know, this is, they are the independent body in whiskey. And it's, it would be really easy for them to take a, a stronger look at this with the Advertising Association in the UK and say, here's the standard. And if you want to do it, it comes through us because they are the standard. It's a lot of work, but maybe that's something that the bigger brands would help contribute towards creating uh, you know, something some type of regulation and the people that are needed to support it. You know, To me, it creates jobs if the right people at the SWA are looking after this. And I think that's something to bear in mind as well.
1: To be honest as well, it doesn't, just at the SWA's door, the brands need to take this more seriously. You know, we, we are the ones that are holding those casks and yet don't always know who owns them. I mean, that's just not good enough. And there are other financial instruments whereby there are really robust procedures and policies in place which protect that transfer of ownership and make sure that that is really crystal clear. So other industries have managed to do it. We just need to take uh, lessons from them. The brands need to take a lot, set up and take a lot more care over it. It's our brand. You know, if if Joe Bloggs in um, Southeast Asia gets a hold of a, the Glenn Turret cask that was sold years ago and has no contract attached to it, even if it does have a contract attached to it, they could stick that in any shape of bottle, any colour of bottle, with any kind of label, with tows of the cat all over the bottle. Um, and sell it at a price point that really just doesn't look great, and put the Glenturret on it. That's our, that's our brand they're playing with. Yeah. You no, know, how can we not be taking that as seriously as as we need to be taking it? You wouldn't get away with that if it was Porsche. You wouldn't get away with that if it was Rolex. You know, we need to uh, we need to be taking that seriously because we're not talking about fakes and forgeries here. We're talking about actual genuine product.
2: Hopefully, yeah, it I has think- been made yet. <laughs>
0: It's a great subject, right? And I think we could talk about this for, this is a whole other episode. Yep. I'm thinking yep, we get you back on again, John. Maybe someone from the SWA and like maybe shout. someone who is a Cask broker as well. And we have a look at this from all the different angles. Sure. Uh, and then you can, you know, say you've been on, the show twice And getting up there with, Catching uh, up, with Catching Brendan. up with Brendan Catching uh, up As long you him honestly, on in between times <laughs> yeah, Exactly man, Exactly But it's been a pleasure Having you on the show man And great absolutely. to catch up with you again It's been way too long Since we've seen each other So I need to pop down To Glen Turret uh, yes, And hang do. out Please do it. Have another wee dinner Down there Yeah I knew the, please you do. the you ask was
2: coming I knew something was going We're no, <laughs> coming that into
1: Awards season as well I'm sure we'll bump Into each other At
0: some of the awards Or whatever yeah guaranteed, guaranteed absolutely
2: so John tell people out there where can they kind of follow you online is it you know is it are you on Instagram are you on uh, where, where can people kind of track you and track the Glen Turret
1: yeah Glenn Turret is on at the Glen Turret uh, Glenn Turret Whiskey on Instagram uh, I'm Glenn Turret uh, John on Instagram and uh, theglenturret.com uh, on the website
2: John thanks very much for coming on the show this has been a blast it's uh, yeah it's great to meet you and uh, I'm hoping we can share some drums together again in the future
1: Thanks guys, really appreciate your time. Um, Delighted to be here and uh, take care.
2: Cheers mate.